Hello and welcome to episode 112 of the Boss Podcast. I'm Kirk Bailey, back bringing you another great conversation between Boss's own Mark Littlewood and the great experts that help make up the Boss community. This week, Mark chats to Jonathan Slane and they discuss recession preparation. Happy listening. Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Hey, great to be here. So, <laughs> yeah, I hit the uh, the drop again, but Mark, I, I'm excited to be uh, speaking with you. Uh, Jason uh, has told me for a long time about... Um, business software and what y'all are up to. So great to be on the show. It's really, really good to have you. And um, we've spoken spoken a few times, actually. And I think, you know, one of the things that you've been doing um, a lot of, aside from your your, uh, direct coaching, is you've built up this uh, body of work around recessions. Um, Now, some of our listeners will be too young to remember what a recession is um, and uh, some of them all have lived through several like uh, like me um, but uh, let's let's talk about recessions <clears throat> and um, particularly what we can do in the uh, software industry to um, prepare and uh, you know not just live through them but, but and uh, thrive through them but uh, perhaps um, before we go into recessions, you could give us a little bit of background about you, Jonathan, because uh, I didn't do that, and I never do. Understood. Well, the company's Autobahn Consultants, and we are focused on working with uh, high-growth businesses, which we define as companies that want to double top and or bottom line in the next three to five years. We serve a lot of tech businesses, software businesses, and then construction uh, is our other subspecialty. I know that those have very little to do with each other. They just happen to be uh, specialty industries that I know. I'm a recovering uh, investment banker and so had spent a lot of time doing mergers and acquisitions and ultimately that parlayed into doing consulting work. These just happen to be a couple of the industries that I know really well. Um, And then currently serving 20, 25 different clients at any given time doing strategic planning assistance. Um, In 2019, I thought that there was probably a recession coming. And so published a book called Rock the Recession. Uh, The timing was fortuitous and lucky because then we hit the COVID recession. Um, But that meant um, that there was a lot of interest in the book. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of public speaking and then really focused with my clients on how we can rock recessions. I think there have been plenty of books written on how to survive in a recession. Uh, this one is more geared towards how can we use a recession as an opportunity? And so we know that recessions bring massive opportunities. What does that look like? How can companies prepare for it? That's the angle that I really love to talk about and exploit more so than I think you should fire a bunch of people and survive. Um, I think that advice has already been put out in several books. This one's really more about if we know that there's a recession coming, and we do because it's the economic cycle, winter is coming, it's always coming, 
then what would we do to prepare so that we could have an unfair advantage in the recession and coming out of it? Oh, you're brilliant. And I'm, I'm really interested to dig in a little bit more later um, into the difference between your construction clients and your software clients. But to be honest, um, both of those, those uh, segments of um, the, the um, of, of industry are, are building things. It's just software tends to be around much longer than uh, buildings these days. Um, it should be the other way around, shouldn't it? You know, if you think about pyramids and you know all these amazing buildings that have survived for thousands of years. I, I, I know people that have written code that has lasted longer than um, some of the houses I've seen in, um, in downtown Boston. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Uh, yeah. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that uh, the big difference um, when I work with those two types of businesses are that construction uh, tends to scale linearly because you need more and more people to build um, taller pyramids. And in software, the people don't uh, scale linearly with the growth of the business. So I think people is the big differentiator. But beyond that, a lot of these conversations may have different um, definitions, different words that we use in software. We like to use a lot more acronyms than we do in construction. Um, but beyond that, a lot of the base issues are very similar. Yeah, well, every industry likes to create its own impenetrable language um, to uh, make sure everyone knows how clever they are. And every industry likes to think that they're unique snowflakes that the rest of the business world doesn't understand their unique challenges. Uh, but at core, when we're talking about something like a recession, uh, these things tend to transcend. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So classic economic definition of a recession, uh, two quarters of shrinking growth in an economy. What do you mean by that? Exactly. Yeah, two, oh, two quarters in a row. Right? You got it. Two quarters in a row of decline in GDP is the technical definition. Um, and in the U.S., um, at least, um, I know it's different around the world, but in the U.S., uh, it's all done in arrears. And so we don't know until we're already in a recession when uh, the National Board of Economic Review says that we're technically in a recession, that we're in one. I would think, though, that depending on when our audience is listening to us, um, a lot of the world feels like it's in a recession right now. And then I think we should also remember that we're in a global economy. And even if the U.S. isn't technically in a recession, many countries in the world are in a technical recession right now. And there will be times when, they're, um, when the U.S. is in a recession and other countries are not. Um, for me, though, it's really about thinking through that there's uh, non-economic recessions. And I think that's a lot of the work here is like, what happens if you're in a software business and your top five best employees leave and go start a competing firm? Agnostic of what's going on with GDP, you're in a recession. Or if you find out that somebody um, has broken through your firewalls and stolen a lot of your code um, or inserted a virus, you're in a recession. Agnostic of what's going on, doesn't matter what um, the different economic indicators are doing. 
if somebody embezzles a million dollars or a million pounds from your company, you're in a recession. And so as we think through a lot of uh, what we're talking about with recessions, I think for the audience that was just about to tune out because they're like, we're not gonna be affected by the global economic recession. There are still many types of recessions that affect all of our businesses. We're all going to hit recessions from time to time. And so a lot of the work is thinking through how you're going to deal with those recessions, even if they're not economic. And then the good news is the playbook in large part is the same for how you would deal with an economic or a recession just affecting your industry or business. And I left out another big one, I think, for software, which is what happens um, when there are legal changes? Like, mm. so what about when governments pass laws that totally change the playing field? Uh, or they don't allow us to merge with who we wanted to um, because of antitrust laws, then that can all affect us as well and immediately put uh, us into a recession. Got you. So <clears throat> in a way, you're taking the kind of classic uh, economics or economists definition of a, re a recession in an economy and applying that to a company. So your, your company is a it's the GDP of your company almost that uh, is uh, is the thing. I, I really like that. I like that. I'm, I'm stealing that. Hey. Um, the GDP of your company. I think that's uh, a great way to think about it. And I think that we as business owners, business leaders, usually don't think about our GDP until it's going down rapidly. And then all of a sudden, we're trying to make changes. So a lot of the thought is the way... And when we studied companies that thrive in recessions and especially that thrive coming out of recessions, a common characteristic is that they have a plan going into the recession so that they're not spending the first um, days, weeks, months of the actual recession figuring out what to do. If you have a plan and you create it in the cool, rational light of day, then when you really need it, you can walk over you can break the glass, take out the plan and start to execute. But if you don't have the plan and then you have to try to create it in the emotional heat of the night, that's where companies and business owners and business leaders tend to really get into trouble. Yeah. Well, that makes that makes sense, but I'd love to dig into that a little bit because you, you'd say have a plan, but uh, the plan that you have for dealing with someone that embezzles a hundred million dollars from your business, is probably different to the plan that you have in place if your core tech team um, walks out the door for, for whatever reason. Um, both would have very significant potential impact on uh, your business. Um, so talk to me a little bit about what you mean by that plan and, and how, uh, how universe, universally applicable it might be. Yes, yeah, so there is an emergency break that we recommend that all businesses have in place. And if you saw your company's GDP or whatever basket of indicators you have for your company, some people call them KPIs, key performance indicators. If you saw that start to slide, agnostic of the cause, then what would you, how would you react? And so we like to think of it in four tiers, four levels. So at tier one, you might cut expenses that are really easy to cut. At tier two, you would go deeper with those expense cuts. At tier three, 
you might get into cutting payroll uh, and then cutting people. And at tier four, you would be making changes that would be more tectonic for the business in terms of you might shut down whole divisions. You might sell assets in order to raise cash, uh, but you would be getting into the deepest of deep cuts that would change the entire face of the business and would be very hard to reverse um, or recover from. And hopefully you would never need to get to tier one, two, three, or four, but you would have laid those out so that when um, your CFO walks into the room and um, shares that uh, we've discovered a massive embezzlement, um, or maybe when the police walk into your office and share that your CFO was the cause was of the say, embezzlement. That's more likely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, then um, you can just uh, take up the plan and start to think about, you know, is now the time to start raising cash? And I understand that um, we've started out today with talking about all of the negative consequences of what could happen, but um, most of the causes of putting you into a recession are going to be a big negative thing. Yeah. Uh, and then once we're, and I don't, you said something interesting, which is, would it be different if it was an embezzlement or if it was five employees leaving to go across the street? And I'm not sure it is all that different. I think that the first thing you need to do is take stock but in all of those cases, your first actions are probably going to be doing things that make your company more nimble and raise cash yeah. so that then you can react. The whole, the whole point of it, Mark, I think, is that um, it's better to react with cash than to not react, have three to six months go by, yeah. and then wish you hadn't burned the cash while you were in the middle of the firestorm, but you didn't have a plan, and so you were busy trying to work with lawyers on making sure or working with the authorities on attacking all of those. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're still bleeding cash and then you're in a worse position than you could have been because you didn't have the bandwidth to figure out cuts on top of dealing with whatever problem puts you into the tailspin in the first place. Yeah. Um, okay. So you have a plan. I mean, are there any particular things that I mean, what does that plan look like? Is that something, is that a, you know, a one-page document, bullet points? Is that a, you know, is that like a business plan? What, 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 uh, what do you see, what do you suggest as, as uh, a, a good way to think about that plan? Yeah, two pages is the sample plan that we recommend. Uh, our, the website is actually recession.com. Uh, I know that's hard to believe, but we were able to pick up recession.com. And we've got the sample plan there. Uh, but in a crisis, you don't need a 20-page document um, that you're leafing through. So it really lays out the bullet points for tier one. What would your first round of cuts be? And then how would you decide? So some companies do it based on a level of revenue. So if I saw my revenue um, dropping from 100 million to 90 million, then I would hit tier one. At 80 million, I would hit tier two. At 70 million, I'd hit tier three. At 50 million, that's where we would start to make um, the big metamorphosis um, and go to tier four, the existential type cuts that you might have to make. Other companies like to do it based on their ARR or MRR and what they're seeing. Um, you can do that on a 12 month run rate. Uh, others do it on lead volume because they're like, that's our leading indicator um, and so others yet will do it based on their backlog or 
um, current customers. So it really varies. And I think that's where the nuance of the leadership team has to come in to make sure that it's a plan that fits your unique circumstance. I don't think this is a good place to make it generic and just paint it with a broad brush and say, everybody should base it on a level of revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really, uh, really sensible. Um, and makes, yeah, makes a lot of sense. So you've got a plan. Um, I don't know who's always mis misquoted most about that everyone's got a plan until I punch them in the face. Probably, Mike. I think it's Mike Tyson. Uh, I wouldn't argue I think, with him on that. I think that, yeah, I think that's where it probably comes back to. But you've got a plan until you get punched in the face. Um, how do you recognize? So you talked about KPIs and things, and I think that's really, really interesting. But then people start talking about recessions or these you know, things not going well. Um, are there any other things that you should be looking out for? Because quite often your uh, your business has trailing indicators, and uh, as you say, recessions are measured in the in the rearview mirror. What are the what are the leading indicators other than those KPIs that people should be thinking about? Yeah, there's a basket of economic indicators that I think companies at scale should be looking at. Those include what's going on with interest rates what's going on. And so for, it, for interest rates, I'll pause there for a moment. As we think about it, in the US at least, every one of our last 10 recessions has been preceded by an inversion in the yield curve. And I don't want to geek out too much on economic stuff. Uh, but for those that are wondering what that even means, it means that what should happen in most cases is that you get paid more interest, the longer the life of the loan. So yeah. if you loan somebody money for 10 years, you're going to expect more interest than if you loan them money for uh, the next week, where you might not even care about getting any interest on the loan. So generally, a 10-year note in the US, a 10-year treasury note, will pay more interest than a two-year note because you're loaning the money to the government longer. Yeah. When those two things flip and you're getting more interest on the two-year, what that's indicating is just uncertainty in the market because what's going on is the people that price these things, um, the bond traders have no idea what's going to happen in the future. When we see an inversion there, um, which we've seen a couple of very small inversions recently, it's always led to a recession in the US. So if you're just gonna look at one thing and you wanted to paint it with a historical brush, I think that's a good thing to be looking at. But then for other industries, I think there are more specific um, numbers, um, indicators that we could be looking at. So in software, if we're looking at a basket of indicators from one of the national nonprofits, and they're able to give us some idea of what's going on, like earlier before we hit record, I think we were talking about um, VC investment in software. Yeah. I think that would be another great number to be watching because what we know is that if VCs are starting to pull back on their investments, that they're probably looking at the forward-looking trends of what's going to happen. And that's probably an indicator that things are going to slow down in our industry for a period. Again, hard to isolate any of these, but yeah. if you could look at a whole basket of them, uh, then I think that that would be how you would get the fullest picture of what's going to happen. Because by the time they're announcing it on the BBC, or on Fox or on CNBC, it's too late 
because then we're in a recession yeah. and then you've missed the opportunity, which was the whole point of rocking the recession in the first place. Yeah. Okay. So in America, you play sport ball and sport ball very, very, uh, very keen on using um, the lots of great analogies. So, you know, in a, in a sense, what I'm hearing here from the plan is that's like a defensive play. Is that right? Um, what's the offense? Yes. 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 So I think that we maybe started, we started with the less fun part, which is uh, playing defense, but that's, look, if you're, uh, if you're listening, I think starting with defense is where you got to start. You got to have an emergency break plan. I think because that's existential. Um, if you don't get through uh, a crisis, none of the rest of this matters. But if you're looking to get on offense, then the first thing is to start with an assessment. So we've got a 20 question assessment. It's on recession.com. It's free. You can go take it. Um, and then it will give you a baseline versus the thousands of other business owners and leaders that have already taken the recession assessment since we put the book out. Mm. And then that assessment will also let you know which areas to focus on uh, for your business. So I would get a benchmark so that you can understand where you want to go and then where the opportunities would be. And then from there, it's starting to think through what are the industries that are going to do the best in a recession and what industries are going to get crushed. And so, for example, and it's different in each recession. So when we go back real far to um, the recession in early 2000s and we think about how the bubble burst in tech, that was a very different recession than what happened in the Great Recession when the housing bubble burst and put us into recession um, for those reasons. And that's very different than what happened in this most recent COVID recession. Yeah. In all of those recessions, though, jewelry stores did not do well. So agnostic of what's going to put us in a recession, if you're a tech company and your software is serving jewelry stores, or if you're serving travel and leisure, it's going to be tough regardless of what type of recession we're in. Yeah. If your software serves jails or you serve veterinary clinics, you're going to do okay. We're not going to let everybody free from prison in a recession. And we're not going to stop taking our dog to the vet in a recession. People will keep putting that on credit cards no matter what happens because our cat still needs food. Our dog still needs stitches. Uh, and so that doesn't stop. Healthcare, another one that's recession proof. It may dip some, but it's not going to cause an existential crisis. Yeah. Whereas if you're serving a for-profit four-year university, that could be a rough one in most recessions. Community colleges though, do okay. So again, it's just thinking through if your software currently serves education and serves the four-year for-profit market, then what does it look like for you to start to pivot to a model that could serve more high school level mm. or that could serve more community college level because those might be tangential. And we know in a recession that people are still going to go to school at those levels, but they will move downstream. Interesting, interesting. So in terms of your, your recession readiness um, calculator test thing, what are the, um, I mean, without giving away the, the magic of the algorithm, what are the, what are the things that you're looking for uh, when, when uh, people are giving those answers that, that 
but keep our yeah for sure and i'm we're, we're we are we're giving it away for free on recession.com um and there's the for us the first thing is to assess what you're doing with your company's leadership thing, team so having quarterly strategic planning meetings is a hallmark of the companies that tend to do really well in recessions because they're getting together on a regular basis and they're thinking about these things. And Mark, I think a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, like thinking about your basket of KPIs or thinking about what are the industries that we currently serve and what are the tangential markets that we might serve in a recession. Yeah, These aren't things that you're gonna talk or think about in between doing phone calls and emails during a normal workday. So in general, they're going to be things that you're only going to talk about if your leadership team is getting together for a half day, a full day, or a two day offsite on a quarterly or annual basis to really think through some of these bigger picture items. The next thing is how is the company set up financially? So what are the things that you've done to de-risk and protect the business? So one of the questions in our assessment is, do you have five to 10% of your next 12 months of estimated revenue on the balance sheet as equity? Yeah. In other words, and I know that that's probably a lot to think through um, as I read it, as I, as I talk it through here, but that just means if you think that you're going to do $10 million in revenue, in the next mm. 12 months yeah. that is a software business that is a little lighter um, on people um, than construction, for example, you should have at least 5% of that in the bank as cash or near cash that you could use to help you get through a downturn. So how strong is your balance sheet? Is it able to support that? And if you're not there, then what are the steps that you can start to take to get there? And then beyond what we already discussed, it's going through and saying, how diversified is your customer base? In other words, if 90% of your revenue comes from one customer, then you better know what that customer's balance sheet is and how they're going to do in a recession, because that's probably going to drive you. If none of your company, if none of your clients make up more than 1% of your customer base with your software, then it's starting to think through how concentrated are you in an industry or how concentrated are you geographically? Yeah. So if, again, all of your revenue for your software comes from one industry and that industry doesn't have a good track record in recessions, then this would be a good time to think about what are you going to do? The more positive way to get on offense is to think about, okay, there may be industries that are tough to break into right now but how can we set ourselves up so that in a recession, we can displace the incumbents? In other words, if you've had a really hard time breaking into uh, the travel and leisure market because it's really hot right now and nobody wants to spend the time switching to a new vendor because they're making money, then it may be that you just have to have your plan ready so that as soon as we're in a recession in those industries, that would be a good time to reach out to them because they may be freer to be able to discuss switching vendors or switching to different companies. Interesting, interesting. So, <clears throat> what are the biggest mistakes? So let's say people have gone through this stuff. Um, they uh, have been thinking about how, they, how they're going to uh, come up with a plan. What are the big mistakes people make? What are the big assumptions when they 
kind of come up with there. Okay, I've got my great, I'm going to beat this thing and uh, come out mighty giant. Yeah, number one has got to be cutting back on marketing. So, and I think especially for our industry, um, talking about software, that what tends to happen is that that's one of the expenses people cut uh, and that's a big mistake. In a recession, what we know is that there are far less people marketing and advertising. And so every dollar that you spend in that area has a disproportionate effect versus what it would be if you're marketing and advertising outside of a recession. So right now in a crowded marketplace where we're not in recession, ads can be expensive, marketing costs can be expensive, but in a recession, this cool thing happens and people all cut their budgets. And so every dollar that we were putting into Google AdWords, every dollar that we were putting into having salespeople um, going out and being with our clients, we get a huge amount of leverage on. And what we've actually seen, and this isn't just me pontificating, um, in the book we cite many research articles from Harvard Business Review and case studies, um, several of which come from software, that the companies that had the intestinal fortitude I think that's the politically correct way to put it, to spend money in a recession on marketing, um, get a huge return. They're able to come roaring out of the recession specifically because they're building up mindshare during the recession because for every dollar they're spending, they're getting an outsized return and most competitors are pulling back because that's an easy place for people to rationalize cutting and so they make a big mistake there and they leave open a lot of opportunity. And we see that transcending recessions um, going back through the ones that I've seen data on. Uh, so I would say that would be number one. When you're making that emergency break plan, don't cut the marketing, don't cut the advertising. Number two or is number one the golden? So that's the number one. Um, the number two and the other big one is to move quickly. And again, what we see time and time again is that most companies and business leaders haven't thought about this. Uh, and then they're in the recession and they're spending the first several months of the recession trying to pick up the pieces, trying to catch up, while competitors that already had a plan are already activating it. And the problem is, so the other upside to recessions is to have a plan for who, what companies would you want to acquire? I'm guessing a lot of our audience is acquisitive and they're like, well, but I don't want to acquire right now because everything's really expensive. Valuations um, are high, they're off the charts um, and um, I don't want to acquire, but in the future I would. So to have your list of potential targets now before we're in a recession, I think that's the other big opportunity that we see people missing because once we're already in a recession, then everybody all of a sudden wakes up and gets acquisitive and then you're probably too late. So you need to start planting those seeds now so that in a recession, what you want to have happen is maybe there are people that get tired. They don't want to go through a whole nother recessionary cycle. They're ready to retire. They don't want to go through the downturn and then having to lay people off, having to hire new people and having to bring the business back. But maybe they're like, huh, that guy, Mark, he's reached out to me a few times and it sounds like he's got a, a good company. It's growing. He let me know that they're doing great things and that they have cash. And now I'm just ready to be done. And so then you actually, if you have 10 to 20 companies that you're actively talking to, 
one or two of those will reach out to you. And once they reach out to you, it's a whole different conversation than when you're reaching out to them. Because right now, when we're talking about M&A, every company has tons of inbound traffic. People are calling them, do you want to be acquired? Do you want to be acquired? Do you want to be acquired? Um, nobody wants to return the calls um, from brokers um, or from companies or PE firms. It's just an annoyance. But in a recession, if they know you and they trust you already and they reach out to you, whole different conversation that you can have. And that's a, a way that a lot of companies that are successful in recessions, that's something that they're doing differently than what we see in most cases. That's really, uh, really good advice, actually, and uh, seeing, seeing a lot of that. So I know we've got limited time here, but there's, there's um, you know, one thing that I was, um, yeah, really, really interested to, to kind of round up on. I mean, apart from, uh, the the acquisition opportunities and that sort of uh, you know the opportunity to target businesses that you know aren't doing necessarily as well or or, or less prepared and to, to grow your business. Um, what are the what are the I don't know. Let's pick three. What are the three biggest opportunities um, or the biggest reasons to be cheerful about uh, recessions if you're a software company? Sure. So I think the first uh, is that it's a fantastic opportunity to make an acquisition. The second, which we already talked about, is that it's a fantastic time to bring new customers into your business, which we talked about. That can be hard to do when times are good. Customers aren't interested in making a change because uh, new software is different and we don't want to be disruptive when things are going well. The next one is it's a chance to stock up on cheap assets. And so it's a good time to go out to market for things that uh, were expensive, but now um, you can leverage the fact that competitors might be trying to get out of business or that vendors um, wanna play let's make a deal more so than they did when times were good. Um, I also think it's a great time to acquire disruptive tech, especially for our industry. So there are many small specialty companies that are hanging on right now or doing well right now because times are good and there's a market for what they do. But as soon as the market turns down, we're in a recession, those ancillary services will be the first things to be cut along with marketing, which companies shouldn't do, but they will. Um, so it's a good time to go out there and find the disruptive tech. And then I know that's four so far and you only asked for three, but I got to shoehorn in one last one and maybe I buried the lead on this mark. And that's, um, hiring good people. A plus uh. talent is not available right now because everybody's got a job, everybody's happy, everybody's getting paid. And the pendulum is very much in the employees, on the employees side of, um, of the balance. I think in a recession, the pendulum swings the other way and people become a lot more malleable on the total compensation they expect. They wanna find a safe home um they want to de-risk and so we can get a plus players that just aren't available right now probably at any price um at least one that we could sustain and so again the biggest thing that i think um, i'm hearing from clients um especially in this industry is we can't find good people and when we find them they're so ridiculously expensive it doesn't matter anyways so recession is the time to be there but again you need to have your list now who are the 10 A players that I want to hire? And then you need to be staying in touch with them 
not every day, not every week. That would be weird. But pinging them once a month, you know, figuring out, uh, letting them know the great stuff that your company is doing, um, staying in touch with them so that in a recession, when their company executes their recession plan and has to lay them off, you want them coming to you first because they're remembering that, uh, oh, well, it seems like every month I get some sort of update from Mark and they're doing really great and they had this recession plan because they heard this really brilliant consultant talk about that. And so they have a recession plan. They're going to be thriving in the recession. I'm going to give him a call and go work there. Whereas right now you can't even get a players to return your phone call. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest um, thing I would be thinking through now. Uh, if you're listening to this is who is my list? Who would I acquire in a recession? Who would I hire in a recession? And then how can I start creating a relationship now? Because I think it looks desperate if your first phone call is when you're already in a recession. But if you've built up trust now before we're in one, then I think you're giving yourself a real leg up versus your competition for that talent. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, the the, the acquiring piece is, is you know, it, it's important and it uh, you've got some, some interesting angles there and I think some really interesting ways of making those connections and, and, and the approach. But uh, for hire, hiring, for me, I think is a massive thing in, in software. And because the largest tech organizations and all of the public tech organizations have been hiring people for a quarter of a million, half a million dollar salaries and, and, and up. Uh, the market has been absolutely, I mean, just ridiculously um, competitive. And, and that's been compounded by the pandemic and lockdown where people have gone remote and a lot of those companies continued to hire. Um, and now they, a lot of them decided they don't like remote working and they don't want people to be working remote. They've suffered, well, suffered, it's relative, isn't it? <coughs> um, stock price drops, they've been, they've been laying people off, they've been doing hiring freezes. And so there is a, a huge pool of people who are on the market, either because they're no longer in the role that uh, they, they were, or actually the role that they signed up for and the circumstances and the situation they signed up uh, to be in, you know, working remotely or, or, or whatever it is, 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 is changing. And I think you know, some of the best companies that I was talking to last week at Business Software in, in Boston were really kind of thinking about how they can take advantage of, you know, not just the change in salary expectations because there's been an artificially inflated um, market for, uh, for, for, for people, um, but also then about the packages and the lifestyle and the culture that their own organisations um, have have built and and really offer those people um, you know, a different way of doing things. Be that a you know remote work or four day weeks or you know there are all sorts of different ways that people are, are differentiating themselves and you, know, you can play much more in that market when you know you pay great salary by anyone's standards versus half a million dollars a year to go and make people unhappy at Facebook or Meta or whatever it is. I, you know, no names, no pattern. Um, you know, you, you, you could be in the game for, for, very, different, uh, for very different reasons. So um, fabulous. One thought to leave us with, anything you like, 
Jonathan, what, because um, this has been great and I yeah, appreciate your, your time and I know you've got to, um, to rush off, but uh, should, people, should people fear or, or be excited about recessions? Recessions bring opportunity. The key is to be prepared for it. And so right now, uh, we're, winter's coming. We know that, we know what the economic cycle is. And so if we're prepared for it, then we should be able to thrive during the recession and then grow out of it. But it doesn't happen automatically. Uh, you need some luck. So if you wanna get lucky, um, my mom used to say, you gotta put yourself in the middle of the road if you wanna get run over by luck. And so for all the business owners and leaders that are still a with us- A luck truck. Either one, they rhyme, it works both ways. I don't have a truck, I don't have a truck sound drop. I'm so disappointed. But in any case, Mark, yeah, I think it's just look, spending some time, perfect, spending some time planning for it and then um, being able to activate when it happens. I think there's gonna be big opportunity. And then like you said, in our industry, um, it'll give us a chance to reset on people and expectations for pay, which I think overall needs to come back down to earth. Um, and so there will be opportunity when it comes to um, that as well for those who are prepared. Um, again, um, at recession.com, the assessment's free. Um, and then we can give people in the show notes um, a way to reach out if they're yeah, interested. Well, but I just, want, I just want everybody to rock the recession, not get rocked by it. It's a great sentiment. Jonathan, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.